You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Friday, the 7th of October, 2022. Thank you all for tuning in. It's been a while. Uh, it's been, I don't know how many weeks. End of August was the last program. And uh, thank you for your patience. Really, I think from now on, I don't know how much is going to be on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if people are aware that very, very little is being done with the YouTube channel anymore. So, MiguelRadio.com or iTunes or wherever you get the program. And uh, we're going to be... There's going to be various things in the past. I would normally stick this on YouTube because this is responding to a YouTube video that I was sent a few days ago by a listener. And uh, Christopher, you probably know who you are. <laughs> you sent me this a few days ago. Was it three days ago? Yeah, so I decided to cover this. Um, and this video that I was sent was from a YouTube channel, which is called I Think Biblically. And uh, no idea about it. And it's obviously an Arminian channel. Those, because basically the guy believes that you can lose your salvation. So that's really what we're going to be covering today. And we're going to be looking specifically at Romans 11, 17 to 22. Um, uh, maybe a little bit with other verses because it's necessary that we look at. Yes, at a passage exegetically we're looking at that specific those specific verses but we should also look at it theologically the we compare scripture with scripture and uh and the bible is consistent with itself it doesn't say one thing and then say a completely different um also to pay attention to when you're reading any passage of scripture is what is the specific question or concern being raised by the author you know, in this case, the Apostle Paul, yes, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, but guided in such a way by the Spirit of God that he is, you know, answering real, relevant questions to those people in the first century uh, AD. So, can, um, so we're going to jump straight into this and uh, see how fast we can get through these. If you want me to cover videos, I remember before I would... Um, um, it would take me a long time to do things because um, it takes a while for me to set up video here anymore. So what I'm going to do is another video was sent to me. One or two videos were sent to me as well in the last few days to do with um, something to do with translation issues, which I might cover as well next week. And I... So just send send the videos away, and I'm probably going to try and just be pumping out programs when opportunity presents itself. Uh, so f so feel free either catch me on Facebook or uh, you know every now and again I check megetoradio.com, not megetoradio.com, <laughs> megetoradio at gmail.com. So without further ado, um, let's play this video by I think biblically and. Uh, respond to it. The video is called, if you want to look it up on YouTube, it's called 100% Proof You Can Lose Your Salvation. Romans 11, verses 17 to 22, once saved, always saved, refuted, part three. I haven't seen the first two parts, so I have no idea what arguments he made in those first two parts. Let's play. G'day folks, welcome to my channel. In this video, I want to look at a passage of scripture that I believe is one of the strongest passages of scripture that supports the idea that a genuine Christian, a genuine believer can be cut off from Christ. I'm going to look at this passage in detail, outline what this passage teaches, and then afterwards I want to deal with some of the common objections that people make in response to this passage to try to make it fit into the doctrine of once saved, always saved. I believe that a genuine Christian... I'm really not a fan of that the moniker of once saved, always saved. It really just makes it sound like, well... Once you have prayed a prayer, uh, it doesn't matter how you live after that point, which is 
there are people who teach that, but that's nothing to do with the, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. The reformed Calvinistic confessional reformation teaching is this, that if someone has been regenerated by the spirit of God, if God has them in his hand, as it speaks about it in places like John chapter 10, verse 29, uh, 20, 20, was it 27, 28 and 29 and 30, I think he will not let any of them go. It, it is, it is salvation is of the Lord beginning, middle and end. Um, if you could lose your salvation to quote John MacArthur, you would. Um, you, if anything had to do with us, if anything, even a hair's breadth, had anything to do with us getting to the celestial city, the, the heavenly Jerusalem, none of us would have any hope. I hope people realize this. So from the very get-go, you have to think, is the teaching consistent with the doctrine of God, who God is, his glory, his attributes, the fact that he is immutable, he is unchanging, he is the one in which there is no shadow of turning, Is whatever doctrine you believe, is it consistent with your doctrine of who God is? The creator, the infinite one, the all-powerful one, compared to a mere creature like you and I. And a mere creature like you and I becomes, in certain systems of theology, the deciding factor, the difference between whether someone is saved or not. And the more I hope you think about that, the more I hope you think that is patently absurd. Man can never be the difference between God saving someone and not saving someone. Because it would be partially God and partially you. And this is why it is such a serious issue. Now, I know people will go off into other directions and all this kind of stuff. And you might say, is it a gospel issue? Can be, all that kind of thing. But praise the Lord, much of the time, Arminianism, thankfully, is blessedly inconsistent. Because if you really did believe this, if you really did believe that it was really your faith that made the difference. And people, people don't really think through, I think, what they're saying. They don't categorize it properly and things like that. So this is me trying to be as charitable as possible because sometimes it is just a misunderstanding. You do get concerned, though, when you have people who base whole ministries and have dug, the more they've dug into the scripture and the more they're in opposition toward the truth, you'd have to be concerned. This is not to say, oh, therefore the lost or anything like that. No, I'm not saying that. But it's a concern. But let's continue. True believer can indeed fall into unbelief and apostasy and be cut off from Christ. As I've said in my last video, uh, this is not a works-based salvation because the condition of our salvation is faith and perseverance in that faith. and Okay, the condition of our salvation, it is, this is how, yeah, the difference between you and your lost neighbor is your faith. Your faith. It's not works, you're saying. Well, why isn't it works? Because it is by grace through faith alone. We notice from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Faith is a gift of of God, lest anyone should boast. So, it is the instrument, the instrument by which God saves, given by God. And because it's given by God, it is a grace. It is a saving grace, wrath in the heart 
of a born-again believer. If it is something that originates from the sinner, if it is something that they can exercise rather than their neighbor, then it is a difference. They are, in some ways, meritorious. But we can't say that because it is a gift. Even in, even in what he's going to quote in a second in Romans chapter 11, verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if of works is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. It's either a work or grace. This Now, you have to, because if the difference is going to be the faith of the sinner, because God does not believe for us, he gives us life. He is the, and I'm going to use some, a little bit of technical terminology here, you know, in terms of causality, causes, because the cause of our salvation because we're saved by faith, we have to distinguish being saved by faith from being saved by God. Because if we don't, we can kind of get, it can become very muddled, it can become very confused, and people kind of talk past each other. Now, I'm going to use two terms. I hope I don't lose anybody here. One is the efficient cause. The efficient cause And the efficient cause is the agent, productive of the motion, or basically the the agent who brings about the change. So in this case, the efficient cause in salvation is God. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, during the Reformation... There were there were four of these causes, right? I'm not going to go into all of them or anything like that, but they had a a fifth one that they added. There was already four that went back, you know, these were these were um categories that were used on causes for centuries, okay? And in this they had the term instrumental cause. Something they used toward what? Faith alone. If you want a really good explanation of this, go to R.C. Sproul's book, Faith Alone. And he's got a page on this that kind of explains in the middle of the book. Um, and it was a brilliant little aha moment years ago when I was reading that book, Faith Alone by R.C. Sproul. They'd, I'd highly recommend people read that if they are confused about this whole idea of faith as an instrument. But faith is the instrumental cause it is the means by which we are saved. The efficient cause that is God, like imagine there's an illustration, this is not unique to me at all, I'm borrowing this from Sproul, and I think he borrowed it from somewhere else as well before. The, the efficient cause is basically like the, the, the sculptor, and the, the instrumental cause is the chisel. And then you get this... Um, the the whatness of it I don't want to go too much into the other things but those two those two causes are brought up by an illustration the the one who does the saving the the one who is the efficient one the one who causes that the agent God and that no one else can be the efficient cause of salvation God and God alone right but it says by faith by faith. We believe those believing in him are have salvation and are saved by grace alone because that faith has been given as a gift of God and as less none of us none of us can boast because of that. But we believe. That is the difference between those saved and those lost. And that is the instrument, the means through which God uses to save sinners we've got to distinguish it because the danger is in the minds of some this is not even brought out in the video or anything like that but just for hopefully for clarity and hopefully it's it's clarifying things for people that none of us think or act 
or live out in such a way that we think our salvation or the maintenance of our salvation is in any way dependent on us. No matter how weak our faith is, if it is the size of a mustard seed, as long as it is looking towards Jesus Christ, it has looked away from sin, trusted in him, been born again of the Spirit of God, that's why anybody will look to Christ in the first place, they see the ugliness of their sin, and they also then at the same time In seeing the ugliness of the sin, see the beauty of Christ, and they lay hold upon him. They are new creatures in Christ Jesus. The heart of stone has been removed, and they've been given a heart of flesh. And they're alive. They belong to him. They are blessed for eternity. They have that special blessing. But there's also warnings in Scripture. Why? Because among the visible body of God's people, not every single person is born again. There are the purest churches on earth. There will be those who, for whatever reason, either joined the church or were raised in the church and were never born again. Some of them show it in their lives. They leave the church and they went out from us for they were not of us. That's in 1 John chapter 2. So we've got to distinguish what we mean by the difference. What makes the difference? The difference must be efficiently God. Because faith is not a work, and because the Bible is very clear that faith is not something we can boast about. But why is faith? Not a work, because it is a saving grace, because it has been given to us who do believe. That's why. Grace is something given to us. If we do something, if we respond in the right way, and we get something because of how we respond or whatever, that's not Grace. Therefore, we cannot say that the doctrine of conditional security is a works-based salvation. And I think the Apostle Paul... There's a lot of modal categories here, but from the very get-go, you're in trouble. You have to ask yourself... Yeah, you can say, well, the Bible's very clear that, you know, that faith is not a work, okay? But you've also got to say to yourself, why? Why does the Bible say that faith is not a work? And that is true, it is not a work. Because you can't mix, mix grace and work together, like mixing oil and water. But why? Because we are the ones who believe. Why is that not counted as a work? Because it's a saving grace. Because it is all of God. God provided all that was needed for salvation. We, the only thing we provide in our own salvation is the sin that made it necessary. in Romans chapter 11 verse 17 to 22 very clearly teaches that it is possible for a genuine believer who stands by faith in Christ to be cut off from the faith because of unbelief. Let's look at this passage in detail and as I said after we've looked at this passage I want to deal with some of the common objections that people make to this passage of scripture. So let's begin in verse 17 it says this but if some of the branches were broken off And you, being a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the root and the richness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. If you boast, remember you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Now in the context of this passage of scripture, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the fact that many Jews have been cut off from Christ. Not all the Jews, but many Jews have been cut off from Christ and many Gentiles, obviously not all, 
all the Gentiles, have been grafted in. And it's very clear here that these branches represent individual people. Some people try to say that they represent nations, but that's not possible. Yeah, look, it does does speak of individual people, but you've got to not come at this passage as an individualistic person and forget about the covenant theology that is in the Old Testament. If you believe, I don't know what what the background is of, I think, biblically, the, this YouTube channel. I don't know what their confession of faith is. I don't know if they're dispensationalist. Uh, dispensationalism is very popular, and basically it's often a lot of the New Testament is taken out of context. Because of that. So when we get issues of, well, the covenant here, that one olive tree going Old and New Testament, the kingdom has been taken from Israel, especially since the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And there's a scattering. Yeah, there was a diaspora before, but there's a scattering of the people of God. It's no longer just in ethnic, national Israel. The Old Testament, Israel, was the church. It was the congregation in the wilderness. I think that's in Acts chapter 7. Or or the church in the wilderness, depending on how it's translated. Um, I think the word in, in Hebrew is kahal, and I think in the Septuagint is at various times, you do get the word ecclesia, where you get the word church in the New Testament. Anyway, so when you're coming to this, there's that one covenant, various administrations and stuff like this, but one covenant beginning right back from the beginning, from the fall, covenant of grace, because it's no, you know no longer is it because of our performance, you do this, and you will have eternal life as it was in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. Now it is the work of another, Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And from that time forth, you have the Abrahamic covenant. You have that from, especially from, well, you could say Genesis 12, beginning of Genesis 12, Genesis 15, really explained in Genesis 17. And in that covenant, you have individuals, families, and I would say also nations included in that covenant. Now, the last part, I believe that's future, I'm post-millennial, so that would be still for the the future um, expansion of the gospel in the future. But let's deal with just those first two, the individuals and families that are part of the covenant. So when Jews have children, what do they do? They raise them in the covenant and they are part of this olive tree. And as part of that olive tree, all the male children are circumcised, um, spiritually speaking, and in its significance, and what in signs and seals, the removing of the filth of the flesh, is is just like New Testament baptism, okay? Um, Colossians, was it chapter 2, I think it's verses 11 and 12, deal with it in a circumcision, removing of the flesh, it was bloody in the Old Testament, New Testament is not bloody because... Christ has shed his blood. Uh, there is the washing away, uh, signified and sealed. In, in you know, the baptism is a picture of the gospel. Um, surely, as the blood of Christ will wash you clean from your sins if you're trusting in it. Um, I think this is the the Dutch formula. I think that those were the words. Uh, the this water will uh, you'll be washed clean from your sins. Now, all, all of this is by faith alone, okay? All of this is by faith alone. Old and New Testament. 
in the old covenant and the new covenant, the same looking toward in the old covenant, looking toward the land that, that would be slain in the future, and in, in now the land that was slain, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Faith alone in that same promise, going back to Genesis three, verse fifteen, the the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. That is the promise. That seed crushing the head of the serpent. That is the, the, the promise going right back to that, the same gospel all the way through. So when you come to the New Testament, when you come to the New Covenant, what, what's Paul doing? You know, the question comes up, well, are God's people going to be set aside and it's just the Gentiles here? Well, Paul deals with that question. I say then, verse 1 of Romans chapter 11, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. Meganoito. Basically, um, he's absolutely... I think it's Meganoito, isn't it? Um, do, 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 do. I say then... Yeah, Meganoito. Or Meganoito. So, anyway, but that is the strongest way of saying... May it never be so. And the old King James will be translated, God forbid. It's kind of a dynamic equivalence, which is the strongest way of saying, I don't know, never, 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 okay? Never think such a thing. Certainly not. It's, it's actually very hard to bring out in English. So in order to answer that question, as God cast away his people Israel, he's talking now in Romans chapter 11, what is happening? And that the rejection of Israel is not total. Some have been pruned away, but others have been grafted in. But it's the continuation of that one people of God, that one olive tree, beginning in the Old Testament and continuing on until the end of time. Here's our context. It's the visible church. Not talking about whether there's no context here at all of whether there's nothing here to say, well, it all depends on men, okay? I'll put it like that. So verse 5, it says, Even so then at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And who chooses? God chooses. God makes a difference. God is the efficient cause we talked about earlier. And if you want to read more about this, I think it's in Richard Muller's Dictionary of Latin and Greek Theological Terms. And there's a number of them listed out. I think it's on page 61, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if that if that reference is wrong, just email me. So, why have any of them remained in the olive tree? Because of the election of grace. And because of that grace, they have faith. Everyone else, everyone else has been hardened. I think it's in that verse. It says in verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Predestination. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, and then I killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I reserved for myself 7,000 men who did not bow the knee to Baal. Again, it's all about salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. God doesn't just attempt to save people and say, you know what, I tried to save them, I, I'm trying to speak reverently here, but they just didn't have enough faith. Well, that would reject the idea that God is, God is restricted somehow in saving by few or by many. He can save as many as he pleases because he's almighty, all-powerful. Who, yeah, who has resisted his will? This is not the same, I'm sorry, but this is not the same God we speak of. If you're going from it, from the mere creature's point of view, there are some language, you have to be careful when you go into the scripture. You have to realize 
when we're, when we're talking about ourselves and our relationship with the church and things like this, it's how we understand it as mere creatures. That's why you get this language of being grafted out and all this kind of thing. In a sense, yes, if you were, you know, you were not of us, you went out from us because you were not of us. First John goes into that. But there are people, for all intents and purposes, from our perspective, who are going around in the body, thought they were believers. Something happens, shows them that they were not believers. There are people who remain in the church their entire lives. Doesn't mean they're saved at all. But to say that, you know, it's like your faith and your your perseverance. You persevere. Your perseverance, you, it is you, what you do makes the difference. Then you can't say, we're Christians for centuries, if you're going to be consistent about it, that God alone is the efficient cause. Faith is the instrumental cause. Continue. And you would have the entire nation of the Jews being cut off and the entire nation or individual nations of Gentiles being grafted in. And we know that that is not the case because the Apostle Paul very clearly here says that there is a remnant. He said that in the verses just prior to this. So these branches here represent specific individuals being cut off and other specific individuals being grafted in. Think of the um, even the pictures that are used through Scripture. Think of branches. You know, you think of, um, I'm no expert in vine dressing and things like that, but you think of which ones get pruned away, the dead branches, the ones that are not producing any fruit, the ones that are not alive anymore. What happens to those sticks? They're put down and they're cast into the fire. These kind of images constantly been used throughout scripture. They look like they have life. They are part of the they have received some benefit from being part of the vine, but they don't produce any fruit. And they haven't really, you know, they don't, what do you do with something that doesn't produce any fruit? What This is a picture I'm, I'm, I'm describing here of somebody who's never been born again is not going to produce any good fruit. And it's important to note that these branches are truly being grafted in. In the same way that these branches are truly being cut off, these branches are truly being grafted in. In fact, it says very clearly here that they became a partaker with them of the root and richness of the olive tree. That is, a partaker with the remnant of the root and riches of the olive trees. Yeah, they did. Even... Unbelievers, but the unbelievers within that will be brought into greater condemnation. That's that happens. That the warning is with the Lord's supper. That if anybody eats and drinks this, will be brought into greater condemnation. Uh, look at First uh, Corinthians chapter ten, verses one to four. Uh, speaking about the church in the wilderness, and it says, "Moreover, brethren." 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-4. to Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that flowed, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, with most of them, God was not well pleased for the bodies scattered in the wilderness. They ate the same spiritual, they experienced the blessings of it. Even the unbeliever goes to church, hears the gospel. Yes, they should believe. And we can say, yes, it'll be greater condemnation for rejecting the gospel. But is the gospel not a wonderful thing to hear? Does it not help us? All experience the same, the blessings. And it's a warning for those within the church, especially those who grew up within the church, 
covenant children and things like that. Not to just say, oh, I'll be fine. Look at Jude. Uh, Jude. Verse. Five. Verse 5, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So they all, right, I do not want you to be aware of our fathers on the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank it the same. But most of them, God was not well pleased, for the bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So if you want to say, right, uh, what was it, verse 17, and some of the branches are broken off. Partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree all passed through the cloud. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Again, you can't come and cut off the old, all the, the, the thousands of years <laughs> that has preceded this rich chapter of Scripture, right? And Paul is dealing with the pastoral concern of, well, you know, because Paul is deeply concerned about ethnic Israel. He says in verse in, in in Romans chapter ten verse one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they may be saved. He's talking ethnic Israel there. And here, you know, say, well, you know, some people might be thinking, well, is God done away with it and all? No, the the promises continue. That one, and he's using this image of an olive branch. Now. Some are broken off. Why were they broken off? Because of unbelief. Hardness of their hearts. It's not talking about whether you'll lose your salvation or not. This is inserting it into the passage. What this text is dealing with is, why are they not among God's people anymore? Has God cast away his people That's what Paul wrote. That's what Paul wrote. And you have to ask yourself, what question, what situation is he dealing with before you insert what you want to insert into the passage so that it speaks on an issue Paul is not addressing at all. Why are some of them not with us? Why is there all these Gentiles coming in? Because those Gentiles, they believe. They trust in the Savior. Why did those Jews raised in the covenant have experienced the blessings of it? Well, just like before, God was not pleased with them because they were because of unbelief. Why did many of them perish in the wilderness? Why did many of them not enter into the land? Because of unbelief. The end of Hebrews chapter 4 talks about this. But in no way is it talking about you can lose your salvation. Not at all. It's pointing back to the election of grace. Is that man's election? No. The whole point of it is, hey, why aren't these with? Uh, well, you know, they're not all Israel. Who are all of Israel? Romans chapter 9, verse 6. This is all what this whole section is talking about. You go back to Romans chapter 9. Um, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continue grief in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to, to whom pertain the adoption. See the blessings that they've been given here, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the servants of the law, the promise of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall eternally blessed God. Amen. Now then the question comes up in verse 6, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. He's talking about the efficient cause here. 
God makes the difference, not man. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Right there, there's two Israels. There's the invisible Israel. There are not all invisible Israel who are of visible Israel or invisible church, visible church, because that's basically what um, the kahal or the ecclesia or congregation or the church in the wilderness were. Many of them were not saved. They were taken out of Egypt because their bodies were seen across the wilderness. They spent 40 years wandering in the desert. And as God as God cast them aside, as God left them aside, that's what he's dealing with here. No, he has not. It's not that the word of God has taken none effect. They're not all Israel who are of Israel. Sometimes it'll become clear in this world. Sometimes it does not. The word of God has not become void. It will accomplish all that it is intended to do. Let's get back to this. Let's get back to the video. I didn't I didn't mean to I suppose it bothers me when passages are used like this because we can't go look if you you couldn't if you do this approach to hermeneutics, you can pro- you can prove almost anything from the scriptures. Hopping around the place, you have your own preconceived notion. You've got your own filter of what you believe, and then you go to that rather than allowing the passage to speak for itself. Now we can do this even if we believe the quote unquote right things in our systematic theology, but we can be poor in getting you know like really getting passages to say what they're really not saying. What is Paul addressing? Paul is addressing the continuation of the people of Israel. Paul is addressing the continuation on. Why are they gone out? Because they're all concerned about this. Why have they left? Well, unbelief. And, and, And by the way, don't you get too arrogant about this. You've been sustained. It's not you who supports the root. Just because some individuals have been taken out doesn't mean it's all going to fall apart. It's all by the power of God. It's just the Holy Spirit who maintains and sustains the church. Hopefully that all makes sense. Let's continue in the video. Just speaking about people that, are, that have been genuinely grafted in to the olive tree, which represents the people of God and possibly the covenant promises uh, given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So very clearly here, individuals are broken off, individual Jews and Gentiles, individual Gentiles are being grafted in. Let's keep reading here. You will say then the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. This is correct. Notice here that the Apostle Paul agrees that these people that he's writing to have indeed been grafted in. Uh, They're not people who are false believers or or people that look like they've been grafted in. This is this is this is just you've this isn't great. Uh, I don't mean to be. What if you did this with another passage? Let's go to another passage just to illustrate you can't isolate a passage like this and just say well you know you've also got to you've also got to look at a passage theologically you can't just abandon your theology once you get in here you have to compare scripture with scripture oh they are truly grafted they are truly grafted but you're basically um not looking at what that grafting in means from the wider context of scripture like okay Let's go with one doctrine. And if you neglected to look at this doctrine, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord said, And the wickedness of man was great on, on the earth, and they, then every intent of their thoughts was only even continuing. And the Lord, the Lord was sorry that he had made man in his, on the earth, and he grieved in his heart. 
No, our confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, that's, that's not my confession, but I'm just saying that this is also in there, um, and all the confessions. God is without passions. He is immutable. He's without shadow of turning. Um, he is not a man that he should repent. So then we come to a scripture that, that seems to say, well, God does change. He suffers, does he? Now, you couldn't come to that conclusion by looking at that verse, could you? You shouldn't. Because then you have a God who changes. No, it is saying something, but what it cannot be saying is that God changes. This is what I'm saying. Do not isolate your passage away from who God is, what the nature of the church is. Because, look, they're not going to deal with everything in that one passage. When you're dealing with this passage about God, you bring your, you bring your theology about who God is. He is immutable. He is without shadow of turning, things like this. So what is this saying in this text, you know, that, that God grieved... And any of those passages that speak about this, well, it's it's not that he suffered, because he cannot. God cannot suffer. God cannot have lack. God God cannot change. Um, there's a great quote from um, Reinehan, Samuel Reinehan, I think it is, um, God Without Passions, a great little book. It's about 100 pages, a primer. It's called Primer, however the Americans say it. <laughs> Um, the, the, God, was it? Man has affections. God has perfections. Man has love. God is love. So we have to, when we're looking at various types of language, what's it speaking about? What's it saying? We can't just go to a one-to-one -one basis. Otherwise, we're going to end up with very, very contradictory language. Just say, well, why does it speak like this? Well, because it's speaking to mere creatures like us. God is coming down to our level to speak to us. And in such a way that we will understand it. And what's he doing here? He, he in no way changes ever from eternity past. But what is it saying is God's displeasure at the creation. His displeasure is being shown here with this creaturely language. So you've got to be careful that you just don't say, oh, well, you see, well, he's grafted in, he's grafted in. There's no, you cannot, you must not do this. You have to, when you're coming to this passage, come with the knowledge of covenant theology. And Paul is supposing that, well, that they know this. He's not thinking of a 19th, 20th century dispensationalist. Now, I don't know if I think biblically is dispensational or synonym. A lot of people are today. I hope not. But for example, and even when we're not explicitly dispensationalist, dispensationalism has left such a legacy that we have... Look... This is just the problem with the internet, really. Often, you get a kind of... Um, people get popular across the internet. You don't know who they are. I, I, I don't know who this person is. This is a YouTube page. This, this video's gotten nearly 10,000 views as of watching this. Is this person a minister? Is this person trained theologically? Is this person... And often, guys, these people will end up with more influence than your own minister. 
the greatest thing you can do is realize that you need to be in a solid church. You need to be there as much as you possibly can be. Be a blessing to other people. And YouTube has just become... Maybe I've just noticed in the last couple of years. I don't know. Maybe it's always been like this. But... It has gravitated much more towards the sensationalistic, the divisive, the not-so-edifying. The clickbaity, all that kind of stuff. And I've also noticed the growth in many Armenian channels. And on the other side, extremely combative. Permanent cage stage, if you want to use that term. Calvinists. And I... You know, people who just love to debate and stuff like that. Just because you're you're thick in all the boxes theologically when it comes to Calvinism doesn't mean you're the best person to listen to. Is the internet good in places? Yes, it is. I, I think sometimes it's good. Just like vitamins, get some vitamins in your, but you don't. Your diet is not completely vitamins. Your diet in in your whole spiritual life cannot be me. It needs to be your own private devotions, your family devotions. Get some good books every now and again. Read as much as you can. Read the scriptures as much as you can. But your minister is your minister. Because when I get when I get emails like this, and I, I keep sending them a thank you, everybody for sending them and all that kind of stuff. But this is the internet. There's no accountability on the internet. There's no... You can say anything on the internet. The more outlandish, the more popular it'll probably get. So... Anyway, I digress. Let's continue. With people that are actually grafted in to the olive tree. Let's keep reading. They were broken off because of unbelief. But you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural... Yeah, because faith is a gift and, you know, we have nothing to boast about. ...branches, neither will he spare you. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God, severity towards those who fell, but goodness toward you, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. This is a very important passage of scripture. It says very clearly here that these Gentiles... What are we warned to do? Repent and believe the gospel. And, you know, having looked at this question of, has God cast off his people... And, you, and they see these people leaving and being... Th- don't get all proud. And even today, you know, if you're in the church, don't you get proud and think, well, you know, they didn't stick with it. We could get proud, <laughs> you know, um, and then think, oh, you know, so-and-so is not turning up to church. You know? um, be not high-minded, but fear of the, of the evil and the heartbreaking nature of unbelief. But for the grace of God, we would be where they would be. You stand by faith. Believe, trust, look to Jesus Christ. Cling to him. Do not get on your high horse about other people departing away. Don't think you're, you're better than you are kind of thing. That had been grafted in were grafted in by Faith. It says here very clearly, you stand by faith. Very clear passage of scripture. So the Apostle Paul is speaking to Gentile believers who stand in the olive tree. They stand in the people of God. They've been grafted in through faith. And he says to them, as the instrumental cause, um, again, but these categories would really, really help. A lot of these debates that are taking place, I think, you know, these kind of the term and don't get scared of it metaphysics metaphysical categories that have been used for centuries medieval church reformation church up until really the early 18th century they would really help in a lot of these discussions because the fact is ah yeah that's you know that was categories from aristotle and whoever else or plato or you know um the reformers when they were going through this, and as much of the church believed, 
Theology was the queen of the sciences. And philosophy was her handmaiden. Francis Turretin believed that. So, these categories help us to make distinctions of how to look at by faith alone as the only instrument of salvation, of how it is a saving grace, of how we cannot boast in it, and of how God and God alone is the efficient cause of our salvation. Again, that term efficient cause, of how God is that efficient cause that brings about motion or, or, or mutation or change. What brings about, what is the, who is the agent? Is it man? Is it the sinner himself that brings about the change in us from belief or from unbelief to belief? We do believe, but why? Because of a work of God in us. So we can't boast because it is God's work. Not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And he says, behold the goodness and severity of God. And he says, you know, that you too can be cut off. He says that very plainly. Uh, Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So the Apostle Paul uh, clearly believed that it was possible For a genuine believer, a true Christian, someone grafted into the olive tree, grafted into the people of God, through faith, it's very possible for them to be cut off. Now, there's a couple of objections that people make. Number one, as I've said already. Yes, from the olive tree, to be cut off from uh, the the church. And look, he's going to go into various different things. We're running out of time, really. Let's look at, I mentioned this verse earlier, but just... 1 John chapter 2. Again, different passages deal with it from different angles. Again, this is dealing with um, why did those people leave who were part of this olive tree, the visible church, who partook of of the visible sacraments, who came to hear the preaching, who, etc. and so on. How were they cut off? Through unbelief. Through unbelief. First uh, John chapter 2, verses 18, following. Little children, it is the last hour that you have heard that the Antichrist has come, is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that is the last hour. Now, just before we get into this next one, Antichrist, the whole idea is, an Antichrist, the Antichrist, the Pope of Rome, or an Antichrist is someone within the bosom of the church who has apostatized and left. Okay. They went out from us. Speaking of the many Antichrists. But they were not of us. They went out from us. They were part of us. But they really weren't part of us. Really, that's what the verse is saying. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They went out that they might made manifest that none of them were of us. Anyway, so that's, I think the best way to sum it up is this. If you could lose your salvation, you would. If anything If anything of your salvation had anything to do with you, you would immediately lose it. How could you be anything but think you're better than your neighbor? Well, I I believe you. you This is something that I did that my last neighbor didn't do. No, you can't because it's it's a work of grace. It's a saving grace, wrath in the heart of man. And this is a work of God. So we praise him and give him all the glory and and we thank him and we praise him. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.